saw last week just how deep the effects of sin will go, that nature groans, trees may say things they shouldn't say. Amen. Please find your way in God's word to Mark chapter 11. No one will ever forget the fig tree. I'm glad that will stick in our brains from here on out. We ended last week speaking of forgiveness. Jesus challenged his disciples to forgive others before they began to pray. You see, the act of forgiveness would be necessary for the disciples to do in order to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. Forgiveness is at the core of the gospel message. Know this. We have access to God only because of his mercy and grace. As Pastor Ryan pointed out, his great mercy. We have access to God because we are forgiven of our sins by God. So forgiveness is the principle that we are to live out. You know, that's what separates the church from just everybody, anybody else. Because, let's see, love covers a multitude of sin. That means we forgive each other a lot, and we keep rolling on for the glory of God. Forgiveness is the principle that we are to live out. Believers should not come to God asking for forgiveness or making requests if we have not first forgiven others. If we do not forgive others, then it would show that we have no appreciation for the precious mercy that we have received. And that's the point that Jesus wanted his disciples to, wanted to make to his disciples that day. He wants them to, to be able to live it out. That, that is forgiveness because he wants them to share it with others. I guess that's what you call producing fruit. Christ wants to make sure that the new representatives of Israel understand what it will take to carry out the mission that is set before them. He challenges them. Not, on, not only to forgive, but if you remember last week, but have faith that would move a mountain. They were to have that kind of faith in God so that when they see the temple torn down and pushed into the valley or into the sea, that they would truly understand that God is, control, is in control. They must understand that they need that faith to keep moving on. No matter what's going on, no matter what changes they would see, such as the temple being torn down, down being brought down to rubble, have faith in God, he says. Have faith and know that God is in control and that, and, and, and that, is with you, that he is with you at all times. See, the, the disciples needed to be assured of that truth because Christ is not going to be with them before a few more days. A few more days, he says, man, your faith has to be brought up a notch. Remember, Jesus has put a curse on the temple just as he did the fig tree, the, the tree was not producing fruit, and so Jesus said to the tree, you will never produce fruit again. The temple and the religious establishment were, were not producing fruit, and so in the same way, Jesus is prophesying that the day is coming when the temple and the religious leaders would never produce fruit. In the last couple of weeks, we have seen that when Jesus came to town, he went right to the temple, he sees the religious estab establishment has turned the temple to a place where, of a, a place where robbers are taking advantage of the ones that they were supposed to be sharing the love of God with. And Christ, in his righteous anger, I keep saying that, I want you to know that, in his righteous anger turns over the table of the money changers. 
He drove out those who were selling and buying in the outer court. He put a stop to those who were using the court as a shortcut to the Mount of Olives. And we saw as he stood in the outer court, as he looked around, how, he, how broken his heart was. His heart was broken as he looked at the house of God. This was the center point of the world. Everyone knew, everyone in the world knew about the temple and what it stood for. Everyone in the world knew that this was a place that the God of Israel dwelt. It was a place where the world, would, could, the world could come and worship the God of the universe. It was a place where the world could come and praise the creator of the world. Everyone knew about the temple and what it stood for. And so Jesus comes to town during the Passion Week and he cleanses the temple. Verse 16, chapter 11. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, My house shall be a, call, a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Notice what Jesus was doing. He was doing what? He was teaching. Christ was always teaching. He was always available to the people. Throughout his ministry, we, we can read time after time that he was teaching, that he would sit down and teach. He taught all the time. Listen, he even made himself available to the ones who were trying to trap or kill him, as, he see, as, as we will see today. Jesus came to teach about the kingdom of God. And he taught that truth right until his very last breath. So Jesus was teaching teaching about the temple. He was teaching on what it was supposed to be and what they had made it into. He was teaching the truths of God. Now, what Jesus did in that courtyard that day, the cleansing of the, te of the temple, what he did on that day was seen as an all-out assault on the religious leaders and their way of life. Know that. It was seen by the, the leaders as an assault on the temple also. What he did that day was one of the main reasons that he was executed. When, when Jesus confronted the ones who were desecrating the temple, what did they do? It says, verse 18, And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because of the crowds and because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Listen, Mark, makes, Mark assures us that the chief priests and the scribes heard the message that Jesus gave as he cleared out the temple. Did you see that? He said they, they heard it, just like he, he did with the disciples. You know, They heard him curse the fig tree. They understood completely and perceived Jesus' intent when they heard him. And instead of taking the truth in, they let hatred fill their hearts. So the leaders began looking for a way to kill him. They began to plot his death. They now fear him, the word says. They, they fear him because the people were astonished at his teaching. You know, that is, the people saw the teaching of Jesus, the, that the teachings of Jesus superseded them and, and what they had been teaching. They were not afraid of the power of Jesus, which I found totally amazing. You, you know, 
They, they have seen what Jesus is able, was able to do, and yet they're not afraid of his power? They're, they're, they were afraid of losing their power over the people and what the people might do to them, but they were not afraid of Jesus and his power. And that brings us to verse 27. And they came, in, and they came again in, to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for, all, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So this section continues and contributes to the larger theme here in chapters 11 through 13 here in Mark. This section is defined by Jesus' opposition to and the rejection of the temple. It is defined by the prophecy that the, the temple will one, day be, will one day be destroyed. And we will see how all this comes together, these three chapters, as when uh, Pastor Jared preaches on chapter 13. He's going to bring all this to our understanding. So here in verse 1 through 6 in chapter 11, I want to call that the beginning of the end of the temple and its system. This is where we can see uh, after this that the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders escalate. Now beginning in verse 27 uh, that we just read, Mark moves from Jesus' Jesus's opposition to the temple complex to the religious leaders, the ones who have been running the temple. Now this confirmation this, this confrontation is, is much bigger than the shootout at the OK Corral ever was. There's a lot more at stake here going on that day. Here we are inside the temple. Think about this. All its grandeur set high on the city with all of its history, all of the theological significance. The temple in all its beauty becomes the inevitable, inevitable stage for the religious leaders to challenge Jesus' authority. This is an incredible event set on the world's biggest stage. Here we are in the temple, the most authoritative place on earth, with the Sanhedrin, the most authoritative body in Israel, challenging the authority of the one who possesses all authority. So we have Jesus walking in the temple. The religious leaders have already been planning on how to kill Jesus. They are, they are trying to implement their plan now. They, they probably didn't sleep the night before. They probably didn't. So they approach him. And they say, by what authority do you do these things? Or who gave you the authority to do what you have done here in the temple? The key word in our text is authority. The Greek word means freedom to act or liberty to act. So it's like, what gives you the right? Who gives you the freedom to do what you did in the temple? Where does this authority come from? They're trying to trap him. You know, they've always had a problem with the authority of Christ. 
But Jesus hasn't. He had revealed his authority right from the beginning of his ministry. Chapter 1, if you remember, they were amazed at his teaching as one, what? Having authority, not as the scribes. This was a big deal. You see, the scribes, they, they never taught with their own authority. They, they always quoted someone else. It, it, it would be like, I say this is true, and I get my authority because rabbi such and such said this also. And then they would build on one another, always quoting someone else, because they never had their own authority. Not so with Jesus, not so with Christ. Seventy-five times in the gospel, Jesus says, truly, I say to you. I'm not quoting anyone. The only person Jesus ever quoted was himself, and that's when he quoted the scriptures. You didn't need to quote anybody. Why? Because he was and is the ultimate authority over all. When you are the creator and sustainer of all things, you have authority over all. And we've seen examples. We saw in chapter 1, Jesus had authority over the unclean spirits. They obeyed him. They didn't question his authority. Chapter 2, Jesus has the authority to forgive sins. We saw time after time that, that Jesus exercised authority over disease, and we saw all the healings. We have seen that he has authority over death. He brought several people back to life. Jesus was not under any earthly authority when it came to his power. He possessed all authority in himself as what? The divine son of God. John MacArthur says the only authority in his life was a perfect harmony with the father and the spirit. So he did the father's will in the spirit's power. So the Sanhedrins heard Jesus teaching. And they did know or should have known the answer to their two questions before they asked. Now, when I say Sanhedrin, I'm talking about the, the, the whole religious leaders, all the religious leaders in that day. The word Sanhedrin is a combination of two Greek words mean, meaning seated together. They were the ruling body of 71 members with the high priest a, as, the, as the chief officer. And it included scribes and elders. They, they were the ruling body when it came to the temple and the things of God and pretty much Jerusalem at that time. Something to point out about the Sanhedrin, and, and, and keep this in mind as we go through this text, as we see the things changing. As we see them attack them, as we see uh, them attacking Jesus, listen, listen what happens to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was abolished after the city of Jerusalem and the temple were destroyed in A.D. 70. The control over the city of Jerusalem and the temple was no longer theirs. So all of this is tied together as, as we see the changes happening as Jesus brings in the kingdom of God. Listen, the Sanhedrin had been following Jesus around for three years. They knew by what authority he was doing what he was doing. They knew who gave him the authority to do what he did. They had been there. They had heard the teaching. They were eyewitnesses to, to all kinds of miracles. But one stuck out the most. They were there in John chapter 5. If you'll turn there for a second. John chapter 5. Turn over there and follow along as I read John chapter 5. Verse 16. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. 
because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why, verse 18, why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus says to them, said to them, Truly, truly, there it is, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives him life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, whoever hears my words and my word and believes, on, believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life, in, has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given, coming from the Father, given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, now watch this. Here, here, here we see that they were persecuting Jesus because of what he was doing on the Sabbath. They, they questioned his authority at that time. And so, they, you know, how, why are you doing this stuff on the Sabbath? Who gives you the right to do that? They were, they were questioning then. And so Jesus gives them this long answer right here. This is where I get my authority from. What did they want to do? They want to kill him. He broke their man-made rules. And, and also because he made himself equal with God. So what's the difference back then? What's the difference then in what Christ is doing, showing his authority here in the temple? He has brought the truth to the temple. Like I said earlier, what Jesus did inside the courtyard, inside the temple that day, was an all-out assault on the religious leaders and their way of life. It was seen by them as an assault on, quote, their temple. They run this place. He came into what they thought was their house, and he shut down the robbers. And he, and he began, like I pointed out, to teach in their house. And we know that if Jesus was teaching, we know for sure he was teaching with authority. He didn't ask any of them for their permission to do anything. He, did, he didn't ask if it was okay if he cleaned this mess up here. He, he didn't ask if it was okay to teach. He just did it because he had the authority to do it. Think about this for a moment. He never consulted with them, the religious leaders. Why? Because they did not represent God. They had no power. They had no real authority at this time because they did not represent the God of Israel. Why would Jesus go to them? You know, like, you know, they come in and question his authority. Like, why didn't you come to us, you know? Why didn't he go to them? 
Well, they've already accused him of being of, of Satan, right? <laughs> I'm not going to come to you. He would go to them. He would only go to them for one thing, and that's to correct them. Jesus spent a lot of time correcting their teaching. How many times have you heard Jesus say, have you heard, heard it said, Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. How many times? You have heard it said, but I say to you. This happens, happened a lot. He was correcting what the rabbis had said. Not quoting them, he was correcting them. And they never heard the correction. Why? Because their hatred for Jesus was deafening. They never heard the truth that Jesus taught. They never wanted to know the truth. A couple of them may have. Nick at night probably did. You know, he snuck in there in the darkness wanting to know the truth. But as for the rest of them, they were, they were looking for a way to destroy Christ from sunup to sundown and probably all night long. They were always seeking to discredit him so they could have a reason to execute him. And with, and with their deafness and their blindness, they never saw nor did they hear the judgment that Jesus pronounces on all of the religious establishment. Every time they tried to trap Jesus, they were so full of hatred that they never understood that every time they came at Jesus, the tables were turned against them. Every time. There's a challenge for us, right? Make sure we never let hatred or pride deafen us. Make sure we're always wanting to seek the truth, humbled and desiring to hear the truth. You know, make sure we're praying against a hardened heart, praying against pride. Make sure we're praying for a heart to hear and see the truth and apply it to our lives. It's easy to point it out on these guys. But we really need to make sure we are doing self-examinations all the time. Back to the temple. This is the next day after Jesus cleared out the robbers. He comes right back to the same courtyard. And I'm thinking for this one day, this one day, the courtyard may have been used for what it was intended. People were in there worshiping God. Jesus was teaching the word of God. Think about the differences in the two days. One day, it's noisy and fighting and robbery. The next day, prayer, peace, and teaching of the word. Luke says that on that day, Jesus was teaching the people and preaching the gospel. Sure he was. <laughs> That's what he does. That's what he did. Just the way Jesus wanted it. But not the establishment. That's not what they wanted. That's not the way they wanted it. They were, they, they were not being worshipped like they, they liked. They, they were not making money like they liked. They were furious, to say the least. They hated the changes that were happening in the temple, and they go to Jesus. They think they've got them. They're going to question his, his authority. Why do you think they have him? Why do you think they got him now? They got him in the temple. Listen, it's because they know, they all know, that Jesus has not been taught by any of their rabbis. Not one. He had not gone to, through any ordination process. Not one. 
He didn't have any plaques on the wall with 13 letters behind his name. Not one. They know that Jesus has no accreditation from anyone on this earth, so they think he has no authority in the temple. Now, they knew that he claimed to be the Son of God. They know that he has said that he has authority from God the Father, but they wanted him to say it in the temple. They wanted him to say that his authority came from God and that he had authority over this temple. And that if he would just say that, that God has given him authority to clear the temple, to preach what he preached in the temple, then they would have him for blasphemy right there on the spot, and then they would be able to immediately put him to death even though he's already said that, even though they've already accused him of that. They want to hear it one more time, pounding the flesh. So they go after him. They're basically attacking him. They go to him, by what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? Jesus said, I'll ask, I'll ask you one question, and I will tell you by what authority. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. I bet you could have heard the air leave the temple. They are ready to condemn. They are ready to yell it out at the top of their lungs, blasphemer, kill him. You have no authority. Hang him. They're ready. It's on the tip of their tongue. Their, their mouth is cracked half open, ready to proclaim it. And Jesus turns the table on them with a simple question. One that anyone in that temple that day could have answered. Everyone in that temple that day could have answered. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? A very simple question that the scholars should have been able to answer. But what Jesus did with this question. Jesus implied that his own authority came from the same sources, source as John's. So the leader's conclusion about John would reveal their conclusion about him. He put the ball in their court. He says, what about the baptism of John? You know him. He didn't say this. This is in Rob's paraphrase here. But he's like, you know him. You know John, you religious leaders. You know who I'm talking about. You went, you went out to the wilderness to hear him teach. You know that he... That, that I said he was one of the greatest prophets who ever lived up until I came. You know that he is the one chosen by God. So tell me, temple leaders, tell me, Sanhedrin, was the baptism of God, a, a baptism that John performed, was it God or man? You know, John, the one that proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that's the one I'm talking about. The one who preached repentance, who preached prepare the way for the Lord. The one who baptized me, Jesus says. That's the John I'm talking about. Was his message, was his baptism of God or man? Answer me. I bet you could have heard a pin drop in that massive courtyard when Jesus asked that simple question. They could not answer the question without embarrassment. Either way, if John's ministry was divinely appointed, then they should have obeyed his call to come to repentance when they, heard, when they heard what he said down by the river. They should have grabbed the message of repentance and carried it to the people. 
If John's ministry was divinely appointed, they should have turned from their works and put their trust in the one who takes away the sins of the world. But they didn't. They didn't obey the truth that they had heard. They did not believe John. Their pride would not let them come and be baptized and, be, and prepare the way for the Lord. They despised what John was doing in the wilderness. John calls them out. John warned the leaders on that riverbank. When they came down there to hear him teach, to see what was going on, you can write, write this verse in your margins right here too. Matthew 3, 7 through 10. When they came down there, listen to what John said to them. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit. There we go again. Listen, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, here's the big point, even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Remember what I said earlier. This happened in 70 A.D., along with the destruction of the temple. Both the temple and the Sanhedrin were taken out because they did not bear fruit. When Jesus asked them about John's baptism, I'm sure what John had said to them was ringing in their ears. I'm sure they heard it again and again. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. They despised John, but the people didn't. The people embraced John as a true prophet. Many were willing to embrace Jesus as the Messiah, so the people saw John as a divinely appointed prophet and the scribes and the chief priests they knew that they knew that and when Jesus asked the leaders to answer them you know he's putting them on the spot he was really showing them that they didn't even have the authority to answer this question much less authority over him or the temple and it was killing them they wanted Jesus to submit to their authority and since he didn't they wanted to kill him verse 31 and they discussed it with one another saying if we say from heaven he will say why then did you not believe him but shall we say from man they were afraid of the people for they all held that John was a prophet so they answered Jesus we do not know they were stuck if they had said that John's ministry was from God then what then they would have had to embrace Jesus and that would mean that Jesus' authority exceeds human authority. It means that Jesus' authority exceeds their authority. It means that they would have to submit to the teachings of Jesus, but their pride would not let them do that. They were the teachers, not Christ. They were the leaders, not Christ. They wanted praise from men, and they were not willing to give any of that up to anyone, not even the Son of God. These religious leaders were concerned about authority. They wanted to keep theirs, and they knew Jesus' teaching was challenging their power structure. It's amazing what a man will do to keep power. These Pharisees had no power to renew. These Pharisees, listen, this is important. They had the power to renew Jewish faith. 
but they would neither change the religion nor let anyone else do so. Think about that. So instead, they challenged Jesus' authority, but they had no real spiritual insight or power of their own. They never corrected Jesus. They never used the scripture to prove that what Jesus had taught or done didn't line up with scripture. It's kind of like, you know, two people debating and, and one keeps getting hammered with the truth and, and the other one has no rebuttal. So, you know, their response is just call them a name, you know, or make a threat because they have nothing. That basically sums up the relationship between Jesus and the Sanhedrin. They, they attacked him with false claims and silly accusations all the time. All they had to do was to admit that John's baptism was from heaven. Concede the truth. Concede the truth. Concede that Christ, what, that what Christ has been teaching was, in fact, the truth. But they wouldn't do it because they would not give Christ the recognition he deserved. Because they did not want to submit to his, his authority. Their hardness of heart actually disqualified them from being religious, uh, religious authorities at that time. Can you imagine how hard it was for these prideful, know-it-all religious leaders to go over in their little group, have a meeting, and come back to Jesus after their huddle and say out loud, out loud, in front of the, all the disciples and everyone else that Jesus was teaching, they said, we don't know. Oh, that had to be hard for them to do. I tried to picture what the people would, who have been, uh, who had to submit to these leaders' authority over the years. I tried to picture the look on their face when they heard them say, we don't know. Was it in shock, disbelief? Or did they have joy because they knew that Christ was right? I don't know. I'm not sure what their reactions were, but I do know what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. God's grace does have its limits. They have had the Son of God in their presence for three years. They have seen the miracles. They have heard his teaching. And all they come up with is, let's find a way to kill him. They rejected time after time the light that was given to them. Jesus is now saying to them, you are not entitled to any more information. Done. I'm done. Their actions illustrate the potential for spiritual blindness for all people, though. We can't point the finger at them. Because submitting to God's authority has always been man's problem. That that's what keeps us away from Christ, from accepting Christ. We don't want to submit to someone else's authority. This was a great lesson for the disciples that day. Remember, Christ is training them up, getting them ready. He's going to be leaving them soon. You know, we see that what is important is the proclaiming of the truth. The disciples' job and our job is to tell the truth. Not man's ideas, not man's feelings, not man's opinion. We need to proclaim, thus says the Lord. 
Things are changing in Jerusalem. Things are changing with the coming of the kingdom. The prophecy of the end of the temple will be fulfilled soon. The axe is laid at the root of the trees that do not produce fruit. An unbelieving religious establishment will soon be chopped down and thrown into the fire. So I end today with the truth that Jesus and John the Baptist proclaimed from the beginning. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the good news. Do not wait. Do not harden your heart. Put your trust in Jesus today. That is, trust that Jesus has the authority to pay the debt for your sins. You must know that you know that you will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. So don't doubt the authority of God. Submit to his authority. Amen.